This morning, as we turn to Scripture to learn, um, we will be looking at the book of Luke. And as you are no doubt aware at this point, we are looking at various books, well, eventually all of the books of the New Testament, spending one or two weeks on each of them, and looking at sort of the high-level overview, the themes uh, that are present in each of these letters or stories, so that when you go to read these stories, you have some framework or grid um, to begin to understand and keep in the back of your mind as you read them. So often we have a daily devotional or we sit down to read and we read a section of a book um, and we don't pay attention or have that larger picture and we don't understand how it fits in the larger story and we uh, end up missing the proverbial, proverbial forest for the trees. And so what we're doing right now is trying to give some of that um, that context of that larger story so that when you go to read these, uh, you, you do that. I, hopefully that you have been doing some of that as we've gone through uh, some of the other letters and now two of the gospels, we're turning to Luke today. And the story of Luke is a two-part story. You may know this. He wrote Luke and Acts and they go together. And it is, together they are the, the most, I think it's almost, almost a third of the New Testament. So more even in terms of words written, Luke writes more than even Paul. So we have, in terms of number of books or letters, Paul obviously does more, Luke has two, but they are so large that there's more of Luke's writing than anyone else's in the New Testament between those two stories. And we mentioned before, I think, you know, a couple months ago even, that Luke's being a two-part story opens with the Christmas narrative that Luke tells in which Rome is exerting its authority over the Jewish people through the census that will be used for taxation. And it closes at the end of Acts with Paul. We find him at the end in Rome preaching the gospel. And so it's a complete reversal of the narrative uh, over the, t- the course of those two books. And I should say, obviously, Luke is the gospel. So Luke is the, the story of Jesus. Acts is the story of the church. And so it's a two-sided coin, right? The, the one is Jesus and what he did. And the other is then what his disciples and apostles pick up and do. Um, and, and you'll see parallels. You'll see the, the apostles, certainly, you know, Peter and, uh, and even Paul in, in, in the beginning of Acts do the same sorts of things that Jesus does. And so Luke, that's, that's on purpose. Luke wants to tell you that these people basically picked up the mantle from Jesus and carried forth. But Luke, of course, is, is as I said, the gospel, the story of Jesus. And it, it is, and they are together, it's sort of a masterful piece of literature. I mean, they obviously are spiritual texts for us, but they are also incredible stories. Luke writes more narratively than a couple of the other gospel writers. As far as themes go, uh, Luke carries, if, if I had to say there's one theme aside, of course, from the fact that it's the gospel and it's the story of Jesus, that's above all else. But as we've talked the last couple of weeks, each of the gospel writers seems to have a thrust or a, a, a theme that they're focusing on. Mark was uh, sort of the darkness and suffering that Jesus underwent and therefore the church will undergo. Um, Matthew had to do with Jesus as Moses and the Exodus that the, that the people of God are experiencing through, through Jesus. And Luke carries very much about the outcast. And so Luke's gospel is a gospel about the inclusion of those who are forgotten, the least of these. And so Luke is very much about uh, Jesus spending time with sinners and thieves, prostitutes, women. Uh, women find their way into Luke's gospel all the time and in ways that they don't necessarily crop up in some of the other gospels. And we would certainly like to think that we are certain 
enlightened people that were women are as equal to men, but that was certainly not the case at this time. And so for Luke to be focusing on that and making that a point is profound. And we might miss that, but it was certainly something new and different and uh, clearly something that Jesus was keyed in on and something that Luke definitely tells us about. Today, we're going to turn into to chapter 19. We're gonna be looking at the story of Zacchaeus. So how many people of you know that the story of Zacchaeus, maybe, maybe from uh, Sunday school, right? We have a little song, like Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? So you may not remember that song. And, and in large measure, that's, that's kind of where that story stops for a lot of people. They had that Sunday school story, and this may not be something that gets preached on a Sunday or taught, or you spend a lot of time reading through beyond just that sort of Sunday school story, but it is, it is a crucial story, and it serves a crucial function in Luke, and we're going to talk about that today. A little bit of the sort of the narrative or the story background of where this falls in Luke's gospel. We are at the end of what is the journey portion of Luke's narrative. So like the other gospels, there's this sort of ministry portion in Galilee, and then uh, there's a point in Luke's gospel where he turns his face towards Jerusalem, Luke tells us, and that begins this march towards Jerusalem. So he begins up north in Galilee, Jerusalem is further south, and there's a point where this journey starts, and there's this whole section of story called the journey narrative, and it's the miracles and the teaching that happens that Jesus is doing on the way to Jerusalem, which of course will uh, be Passion Week, the crucifixion, the culmination of the gospel. And this story about Zacchaeus happens towards the end of that. In chapter 18, Jesus has just told us the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And this is the story where the Pharisee goes to pray and next to him is a tax collector. And the Pharisee says, dear God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner. And then Jesus tells us that the, Pharisee, or the tax collector, himself a sinner, says, dear God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, well, which of those is going to be blessed? Certainly it's going to be the second. The one that you all see as a sinner is the one that God is going to bless because of the attitude that he comes to God with. And so that parable has just been told in chapter 18. And what will be the last miracle that Luke tells us of has just happened immediately preceding this. And this is the healing of a blind man. And this is a moment where a man comes to Jesus asking to be healed. Jesus does that. And we're told that the man glorifies God kind of hoops and hollers and is excited and from that moment on follows Jesus. And so there's this moment of coming to sight, seeing, and immediately turning and following and glorifying God as a result, okay? And so the miracle stories, they are, of course, acts of God. They demonstrate Jesus' power, but they also serve as metaphor, right? And we're gonna see how Luke tells, proceeds the story of Zacchaeus with that miracle to set up this Zacchaeus story. So we're going to turn to that now. It's chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, pull it out and read it with me. It's 19, 1 through 10. It says, he, he being Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, 
Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. It's the word of the Lord. So we're gonna kind of walk through this passage today and kind of pick out word by word a little bit of what's going on. We're told Jesus has come where? Jericho, thank you, Gwen. Does anyone know where Jericho is geographically? I don't have a map for you today, but it is directly east of Jerusalem. So if you have in your head the picture of the map of Israel up north, which said it was Galilee, where Jesus began his ministry according to the gospels, and then he comes south down the Jordan River, right on the Jordan River above the Dead Sea, Uh, is Jericho, and then you go west a little bit and you find Jerusalem. So Jesus made it all the way down. I told you we're at the end of that that travel narrative. He's entered Jericho, and from here, he's gonna go over to Jerusalem, and the passion story starts from there. So he's at the end. He's come into the city of Jericho. Jericho is, and is important for this story, obviously, for, for obvious reasons, is a regional tax center, okay? And so Zacchaeus, of course, we're told, is in Jericho, and he is who? What are we told about him? Say it louder. He's a chief tax collector. So we talked a couple weeks ago when we were looking at Mark's gospel about Levi, who was a tax collector. Here we're told that Zacchaeus himself is a chief tax collector. Uh, That's a big job, right? Uh, What what did we learn about Levi a couple weeks ago? What did we learn about tax collectors? They were nasty people, right? They were hated to the extent that they were Jews, which both Levi and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. He's, He's a Jew. So they are Jewish people who are essentially extorting and stealing from their, their brothers and sisters, their fellow Jews, okay? They are working for the imperial Roman forces to collect that money, to extort it, and they are not liked at all. As a chief tax collector, this is a position that you were not guaranteed to have from year to year. This is something that you bid out to the Roman Empire. You said, all right, Rome, I can, give you, I can deliver you this much money. And then Rome would take all those bids, they would figure out who, who, thinks, who can get them the most money, and they would assign them the job. And so then you would turn around and as every tax collector would do, you know you have your quota, you gotta, you know, you gotta make 100 bucks today. So you would go out and you would gather 200 bucks, you would pocket the difference, turn in 100 bucks, and that's how he became, the other description, rich. So Zacchaeus has made his wealth, he's become a, a wealthy man on the backs of his countrymen as the chief tax collector. So if tax collectors as a, as a population are hated, hated, the chief tax collectors are, would be the most hated for obvious reasons, right? So that's who Zacchaeus is. We're told he's trying to do what? What does he wanna do when Jesus shows up? Yeah, he wants to go see him, right? Because he doesn't, presumably he doesn't know Jesus. He hasn't met him. He wants to figure out who this Jesus character is that he's heard so much about. Remember, we're towards the end of the Jesus ministry. It's gonna end here in a few weeks. Um, and so the, the word is out about Jesus, the, the super rabbi, and he's come to town and Zacchaeus wants to go see him, but he has this problem. And this is one of the stories where it's really helpful if you can kind of almost even just close your eyes and just imagine the scene. Here is Zacchaeus, this powerful, hated tax collector, little short guy, right? Little man, I don't know if he's got little man complex or what's going on that makes him a chief tax collector. We're now reading into the story. I'm aware of that, right? Um, just kind of imagine what's going on. But he, Jesus has drawn a crowd as he always does. And we're told that Zacchaeus, because he's short, he's come to 
uh, sort of the parade that goes on when Jesus enters a town at this point. And he's trying to get to Jesus, but he can't because he's this little dude. And I don't know if he's like, you know, jumping, trying to see, or if he tries to find something to stand on. Or I don't know what the situation is, but for whatever reason, the crowd is such that he can't see Jesus. And so he decides he's going to do what? Yeah, he's going to climb a tree. That's, he's he's out, of, out, of, uh, out of options. So he runs ahead, knowing where, the, where they're going, and he climbs this tree. And if you Google sycamore tree and Zacchaeus, you'll get a picture of what they think traditionally is the tree that he climbed in Jericho. I don't know if it is. There's lots of sorts of traditions like that that exist in the church. And at some point, somebody just said, that's the tree, right? And, and that's kind of the way it's been. Um, but a sycamore tree is, uh, we have sycamores, of course, but this, this species of sycamore is different than what we know as sycamore. It's, a, it's much like an oak tree, it probably goes up about 10 feet and it branches off and the branches come out laterally, right? So it goes up and then straight out. And so Zacchaeus came to this thing. They usually have like relatively large trunks. So he scurries up this thing and he, he may have climbed out. If, if it's, this is the tree that, that is shown to you, this branch comes out over the road. So he may be like sitting on the branch as Jesus comes up or walks through with this crowd. So that's sort of what is going on in, in the this, this situation. And then Jesus obviously comes as he ex, is expected to do, that Zacchaeus is expecting him. And Jesus looks up, stops, right? The whole per, party stops. He looks up and what does he say to Zacchaeus? Yeah, get down here. Why? Sorry? Yeah, yeah. What's the first word he says? Other than the name, of course. Hurry, right? Like there's a sense of urgency. And so there's this moment where Zacchaeus is trying to figure out who this guy is. And Jesus, you wonder, did Jesus know? I mean, he's Jesus, right? But to what extent did he know that he's going to find Zacchaeus? To what extent did he see Zacchaeus and think, oh, that's what I'm going to do today? Or was he, did he come to Jericho looking for Zacchaeus, right? So Jesus comes to Zacchaeus. I don't know to what extent. We'll ask him someday. Did he come to Jericho looking for this? Or did this just sort of happen? I don't know. But here he comes. Here's Zacchaeus in the tree. And he stops dead in his tracks. He stops the whole crowd. He looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, get down here quick. Today, I'm going to go eat at your house. Right? And so Zacchaeus does what? He hurries down, right? He, whoa, super rabbi wants to eat with me, right? Big deal. And we've talked a little bit about eating, and we're going to mention it here in a minute. Uh, but that's, that's no small matter, the fact that Jesus wants to come eat with him. And so Zacchaeus scurries down out of the tree and he's excited to have him over to eat. And then they go presumably to Zacchaeus' house. And we know that um, because of what the Pharisees and the crowd say. What's their, what's their response? What do they do? All who saw it began to grumble, talk amongst themselves. They were upset, right? Why are they upset? Sorry? Because he's a sinner, right? He's, he's one of the worst sinners. And here is super rabbi Jesus who uh, claims to represent God. Here he, he's going to eat with a sinner. And we've, I'm not going to belabor this point because we did talk about this at length two weeks ago when we talked about Levi. But to, to eat with someone is to condone them, to welcome them into the family. And so to, to say they are part of the community. And this is obviously as a chief tax collector, someone who the Jewish community has rejected or would have rejected because of his role. He's turned his back on his people. His people certainly aren't going to welcome him into their home and eat with them. So for Jesus to go and do that was problematic. In addition to the way in which it, Jesus is saying, I accept you, Zacchaeus, and I, I'm willing to, to dine with you, to dine with you. It also, uh, for Jesus to do that, 
to dine with someone who's a sinner is, is to in some way take the shame of the, of the sinner upon yourself. So it's not just that the, pro, the problem is not just that Jesus is accepting Zacchaeus, but that the people then see Jesus in the same light. It basically says, you're no better than them. And there was this whole system of shame that had cropped up um, and they would have ostracized Zacchaeus and anyone who spent time with him. So Jesus would have, by going to dine with Zacchaeus, would have put himself in that position. All right, and so there's this whole sort of honor-shame culture going, going on, which someday we will spend time talking about exactly how that works. But that's what's going on, and that's why they're upset. There's one other time uh, back in chapter 15, which Jesus spends time with a, it's a sinner, another tax collector, and in response, the crowd, the Pharisees grumble. They have the same response. And that, that moment precedes what is the sort of the, the three lost parables. So the parable of the lost coin, uh, the parable of the, the sheep, right? Where Jesus goes and finds the sheep. And then the one that's in Luke, that's kind of everybody's favorite is the parable, parable of the prodigal, right? The prodigal son. And so that moment, Luke has set up where there's Jesus dines the tax collector. There's a grumbling from the religious authorities and the Jewish people. And then Jesus launches into this whole series of parables about finding the lost one. And, and that's of course goes to his purpose. And that's, so here we have again, sort of that dynamic being set up with Zacchaeus. It's interesting that the people, they love Jesus, right? They love his miracles. They crowd around him. They don't love so much the people that he wants to hang out with. They don't love the fact that he comes and he hangs out with the thieves and the sinners, um, you know, the prostitutes, all of the, all, all of the low sort of dregs of society Jesus seems to be gravitating towards. And that is not making him popular. In verse eight, we start to get Jesus's or Zacchaeus's response to Jesus. What, is, what does he say to Jesus? Yeah, he's gonna give half his possessions to the poor and then he calls him Lord. So let's start, let's start with that. Let's start with the address. He calls him Lord. How did we start this story? Zacchaeus wanted to do what? He wanted to see Jesus, right? He wanted to meet this guy. And here he is all of a sudden calling him Lord. So something has transpired here where Zacchaeus has gotten a glimpse of who Jesus is. And it may be what he saw on the street. It may just be being in Jesus' presence, but something has flipped here and he's gone from not knowing who Jesus is to addressing Jesus as Lord. So that's, there's a profound flip that's happened right there, right? And so he calls him Lord and he says, as Gwen said, I'm gonna give half my possessions to the poor. In this time and place, 20% was considered extraordinarily generous. So if Zacchaeus had said, I'm gonna give 20% to poor, that would be, whoa, that's a, that's, a, that's a very generous thing that you're doing. That would take people by surprise, certainly if a tax collector is giving 20% of his wealth away. It was actually thought that anything beyond that was unwise, that was, that was imprudent, that wasn't a smart thing to do, <clears throat> that your wealth was yours, despite the fact that he's a tax collector. Um, but giving more than 20% is just not something that was smart. So for Zacchaeus to offer and say that he's gonna give half of it away. This is a way of saying, I'm, I'm, I'm in this, right? He is making a tremendous response. And beyond that, what else does he say he's gonna do? Sorry? Yeah, he's gonna pay back four times. Obviously he's a tax collector. So he's gonna pay back anyone who's he, he's defrauded. I can't even begin to imagine how many, how many people that is. Zacchaeus has ripped off a lot of people. And here he's making a pledge to go back and pay them back. And in the Old Testament, we read that one of the punishments or the repayment for extortion or fraud of this nature is a double payment. 
All right, so here again, if he had stolen 100 bucks, the repayment should be 200 bucks. But he's going beyond that and saying, I'm going to pay 400 bucks. And so he is going over and above, and immediately in my mind comes the, t- the teaching of Jesus when he talks about turning the other cheek. And if a soldier tells you to give a pack and, and to carry it a mile, go two. And so here's that sort of response. He's willing to do the thing that he's obligated to do and then go even beyond it in response to who Jesus is. You see that happening? Then Jesus turns to Zacchaeus and Jesus has words. So now Jesus is gonna respond. So we've got this, this moment where the crowd is upset. Presumably the action has moved. It happens very quick in Luke's gospel, but when the crowd says, look, he's gone to dine with a sinner, that's sort of the key that things have moved and they've moved on to the home. So it's reasonable to think that we're now in Zacchaeus's home Probably at the, like the dinner that he had with Levi, there's a crowd that has gathered because there's a crowd everywhere Jesus goes in cities. And there's this, been this moment of sort of a, a literally a come to Jesus moment that Zacchaeus has had. And he's changed his worldview entirely to the point where he's now going to make restitution. He's going to give to the poor. He's going to do the things that we've seen Jesus teaching people to do. Here's Zacchaeus owning up to his misdeeds and vowing to make them right and to live a generous life, a a more than wise, generous life. And Jesus in response says, today, again, lots of today in this, hurry up Zacchaeus today. So there's definitely an urgency in the story. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Um, The last time I talked about this, someone made the the comment that uh, certainly we have sort of Zacchaeus' salvation but someone also picked up that the fact that Jesus is there means salvation is there, right? right? Is, to what extent is salvation what's happening to, to Zacchaeus? And to what extent is this just an acknowledgement that Jesus himself is salvation? And so salvation is literally sitting here eating dying. I think, just thought that was always an interesting pickup from that phrase, but both can be true. It says, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, there are a couple different ways to read that statement, right? Salvation has come because he's a son of Abraham. So what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that because he's a Jew, he's going to be saved? How does that sit with you? You can just say yes or no, or nod your head. Yeah, I see a lot of no's. No, no, right? Certainly, we're not gonna say that. It's not, he, Jesus is not saying something here that contradicts the things that the other scriptures say, right? What he's saying here and, and what he's calling out is actually something more profound given the situation. It's something that we know but what he's telling his crowd is that despite the fact that this is Zacchaeus, despite the fact that this is the chief tax collector, despite the fact that he's a sinner, he too is a son of Abraham. He too belongs in the family. So he's looking at all these people who are grumbling, who are upset because Jesus has come to dine with a sinner and saying to them, it doesn't matter what he's done. It doesn't matter who he's hurt, It doesn't matter how big a sinner he is. He too is part of the family of Abraham. He too is worthy of salvation, right? Now there's a a big but here, right? And that is one, it may not matter in the end, right? But it certainly doesn't matter what he's done. And, but we see that and we see Zacchaeus responding to that and saying, I'm gonna make it right. So it does, what he's done matters, but it does not preclude him. It does not disqualify him 
from the family of God. And that is the purpose that Jesus is making here with his statement. The salvation has come to this house for he too is a son of Abraham is Jesus's way of saying, it's a statement that says salvation is for everyone. There is no one who is outside the power of salvation, the work that I've come to do and accomplish. No one is beyond repentance and restitution and reconciliation with God. And then he goes on to reiterate what he states and claims, and Luke tells us over and over through his gospel. He says, for I have come to seek out and save the lost. And so we can see, if you go back and you read in that earlier chapter where the Pharisees grumbled about a tax collector before, and then he goes into these parables about saving the lost, here is a physical manifestation example of exactly that. It's a moment where the Pharisees, the religious elite are upset, and Jesus is literally going to seek the lost and save Zacchaeus. And so this is an actual living out of the parable that we got a few chapters earlier. Why does this story come here in Luke's gospel, right? So we are 19 chapters in. We have read all about Jesus's teachings in Galilee. We have gotten a lot of teaching about the, the coming crucifixion. Um, remember, the, there's all those stories as Jesus is traveling where, you know, Peter says, no, 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 it's not going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me. And some of those are in Luke and some of them are in the other gospels. Um, but Jesus has been foreshadowing his coming death that's going to happen. And we've had lots of, lots of moments of miracles of Jesus teaching, talking about, as, as we see here, Jesus coming for the lost. And it's important and it serves sort of a literary function in this particular spot ahead of going to Jerusalem. This is like the last thing in the public ministry of Jesus before we get into the Passion Week and the confrontation that's gonna happen that we know happens during that week. For Luke, this is the last thing he wants us to know about the public ministry of Jesus. And so in chapter three, we get his story of John the Baptist and John the Baptist is calling for, what is, what's, what is John the Baptist's mantra in the, in the wilderness? Repent, for the kingdom is at hand, right? So he, he comes preaching repentance, right? What does Zacchaeus do? Exactly that, right? He comes face to face with Jesus. He repents. Repent, the Greek word for repent is metanoia, and it literally means to think again. Rethink. Think about what it is you're doing. Think about life and the purpose of life and what you ought to be doing in light of Jesus and change. And that's exactly what we see Zacchaeus doing. Earlier, when they called the disciples, Jesus calls Levi. Who was Levi? We know that from two weeks ago. Levi was also a tax collector. Here we have yet another example of that. I told you in the previous chapter, in chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable, right, about a tax collector who prays that, gee, I'm, I'm, or I'm sorry, a Pharisee that prays that, hey, I'm glad I'm not like this sinner. And that sinner happened to be a tax collector, right? Luke set that up in his story, right? He sets the stage to then tell you the story about Zacchaeus, right? So he is very much the tax collector who acknowledges his own sinfulness, prays for mercy, asks for repentance, and much unlike the Pharisee who is a holier-than-thou jerk in his prayer, right? He is absolutely unlike, another one of the parables that Jesus will tell is the, the rich fool, right, that hoards all of his money. And here is Zacchaeus who has all his money and decides to turn it out and give it all away, all right? So Luke is, is giving us that juxtaposition as well within his narrative. If you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? This is a, a, another sort of famous parable that Jesus tells about uh, the rich man who has Lazarus begging at his gate and they both die and Lazarus ends up in heaven and the rich man ends up in Hades and there's this dialogue that happens 
or surrounding that, right? But what Zacchaeus is not, is he's not acting like the rich man, right? That rich man was ignoring the plight of Lazarus. He was beneath him. He would not even speak to him or look at him until he realized, oh, I'm in trouble now that I'm dead, right? And then he wants Lazarus to, to help him, right? But Zacchaeus here is acting the opposite way. He, as a rich man, is responding to the plight of the poor people. Poor people is another big theme for Luke. Caring for, responding to Jesus by caring for the least of these is something that Luke cares very much about. And we will see in Acts, the early church cares very much about. He's also very much unlike uh, the rich ruler, which showed up in the previous chapter as well. The rich ruler is the guy that comes to Jesus and says, I've done everything. I've conformed to the Old Testament. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says to him, you go home, you give away all of your wealth and come and follow me. And he goes away sad. That's also in chapter 18, immediately preceding this. And so here we have Zacchaeus as the actual, Zacchaeus is not a parable. Zacchaeus is a real man. And here is the real man Zacchaeus responding, not like the rich ruler, but actually giving up his wealth, realizing that that's what he needs to do in order to follow in Jesus's footsteps. And so the, the story of Zacchaeus sitting here is the, the story it is, many people call Zacchaeus the mini Luke, right? If you want to know what Luke is about, you go to Zacchaeus. This is what it's about, right? It's about Jesus coming to the least, the lost, the sinners, the poor people. And it is about the people that he comes to, his children that he calls, responding in tangible manifest ways, true repentance, changing. And that's the last story that Luke will leave us until before we go see the crucifixion. Right? So the, the, the Zacchaeus wee little man story that we all learned in Sunday school is a key story in Luke's gospel. It functions to be sort of the culmination and the wrapping up of all the teaching that Jesus has given us to this point. And what happens? Like, why does, here's the question. Why does Zacchaeus do it? We have to use a little bit of imagination here because it's not in, necessarily in the narrative, but there's the, it starts out with Jesus not, or Zacchaeus not knowing who Jesus is. He climbs a tree to figure out, just to get a glimpse of this guy, to figure out who, this, who Jesus is. And then all of a sudden, we have dinner together. Something's, something's gone on. And, and Zacchaeus is now calling Jesus Lord. He's completely changed his life, or vowed to at least. All of the wealth that he's accumulated, he's getting, he's, he's getting rid of to help the poor and to make recompense and reconciliation for the, the sins that he's committed. Like the, the repentance that John the Baptist preached is is on display here, right? We have this man who went from being a hated sinner who turned his back and extorted his countrymen, the people that he should love, to much like the blind man who we just heard about in the preceding story, has his eyes opened and immediately glorifies God and follows Jesus, right? That blind man story is a setup, narratively. A little caveat. When I talk about like the liter liter literary nature of the text, please don't hear me say that there's just stories that are made up. They're real. It's just how did Luke piece all this together to, to make his point? And, and that's what I'm talking about. I'm not, please don't hear in any way that I'm saying that that story didn't make it, make, you know, it was just a setup. It, it wasn't, wasn't real. It was real. It's just that Luke puts it right next to this one in order to set you up to tell you the story of Zacchaeus. What, what happened? Salvation came to his house. Zacchaeus saw Jesus. And more than just, oh, there's Jesus over there. Zacchaeus has had this confrontation with the living God. There's this moment when Jesus eats with him, talks with him, visits with him, 
when his entire world changes because he's come face to face with God. And what Luke is gonna go on and tell us in Acts is that happens for the entire church. Everything changes because people meet Jesus. Whether it's the Jesus here, the post-resurrection risen Lord Jesus, or the Jesus that people meet within the church, the body of the church, the Jesus that the church gives to the world. Everything changes when you meet Jesus. And so the question, the real, like the pointed question, we've talked a lot about what we can do as a church. Today, I'm gonna ask you about you. I want you to think about you. This week, I want you to think, have I met Jesus? I don't mean by that question, have I said, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my savior, and I'd be baptized. What I'm asking is, have you had this come to Jesus moment? Have you had this moment where you've sought to find out who Jesus is and Jesus has, God has responded and it has hit you, the weight of what Jesus did, the weight, the glory of who Jesus is, who God is. Have you had the moment? And if you had it, have you forgotten it? Because what happens to Zacchaeus is everything changes. Everything he has all of a sudden goes out the door to help the poor and the needy and to those he's defrauded. Does Jesus do that to you? Do you sit and pray to Jesus, meditate on who he is, read these stories and have that reaction? To come face to face to Jesus, to be Jesus' follower is that, right? That's, that's the model that we have that Luke gives us here in Zacchaeus. It's the model that we see in the New Testament church is all over all of the gospels. But the matter of fact is that every story that we have is that when someone finds Jesus and understands who Jesus is, everything changes. And so I want you to go back and I want you to read through the stories of Luke this week. And as you do, be thinking and asking yourself, do I really know who this Jesus is? And what difference does that make? What does it matter that Jesus is the son of the living God? What does it matter that salvation has come to this house? Does it matter? How does it matter? Are you willing to stake everything on that truth and that reality? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Luke's gospel and the story that you have told through him. Not only the gospel, but also the story of Acts and the apostles in the early church, Lord. And as we read today about Zacchaeus and we ponder what actually happened in that moment. We ask, Lord, that you would come to us, that we might see you. There are those of us who have had those moments in our past. We have been touched by you and your spirit. We have been filled with your love. And we have seen and realized that all of reality is different than what we had imagined or understood prior to that point, and that everything must change. And for a lot of us, that's something that have happened perhaps years ago, and we've been dulled to that reality. We may have forgotten, or life may have returned to the normal that it was before, Lord. And, and for those of us for who that is the case, Lord, we ask that you would reignite our vision, our understanding of you, reignite the love that you have given to us that we ought to extend to the world. And Lord, there are others of us who have spent our entire lives giving lip service to your son who have sang the songs and read the words and nodded our heads and gone on about our life as if nothing has changed. Lord, for those of us who find ourselves in that place, Lord, we just ask that you would come to us now, right now, today, that we would see you in this moment, 
that we would understand the gravity, the magnitude of who you are, what your son has done, and the life that you now call us into, Lord. And just give us, perhaps for the first time, that vision and that understanding that we might walk forth from this place today and, and everything will be different. Lord, as we, as a church now, in the coming weeks, begin to think about ways that we can reach out, ways that we can grow your family, Lord, we just ask that you would give us that vision first and foremost, that we hold it in front of us at all times, that we are motivated by it, that we might become the picture of your son to the world, that those around us may have this reaction to you through us that Zacchaeus has had today, Lord. We thank you for the life of Zacchaeus, the writings of Luke, and above all, the life, death, resurrection of your son and the love that you have for us. We pray all this in your son's name and in the power of your spirit. Amen.